And, you know, I think in my mind, I was like, all right, God, this is like a no brainer, right? Like she's going to wake up on Easter morning with like, she'll kind of resurrect for us in, in kind of a picture of the resurrection. Like um, it's very on brand for Easter for us to experience this miraculous healing with her. And so there was a sense in which I had like all the confidence in the world that God was going to do that. Um, And so when that didn't, and in fact, I had gone back home because I was nursing my baby at the time. So I went back home to get, I'd left her there. So I went back home to get her. And I was at home on Easter morning when I got the call that, um, that that treatment option hadn't worked. The seizures continued. And that's when I think I really knew we, we might lose her. I think we're going to lose her. Friends, I had the incredible opportunity to talk with Amanda Held Opelt, Rachel Held Evan's sister, uh, all about the process of grief that she's gone through this past year since losing Rachel. And as it relates to Easter Sunday and this hope of resurrection, and what do you do with that when nothing seems to make sense and when that thing you've been praying for, that thing you've been hoping for, that thing that seems... Like it's so obvious that it should happen. What When that doesn't happen, then what do you do? What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with resurrection? What do you do with hope? So Amanda allowed me to interview her uh, on Zoom, and we played it for our little church on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. And what she had to say was just beautiful. So when I asked her if I could also post it here on the podcast, and she said yes, I was thrilled because I think it's really a message of hope and greedy reality and curiosity. And I think you're going to love listening to her words. So enjoy this conversation between me and Amanda. Well, hey, thank you so much. I I really almost didn't ask you to do this just because I thought, oh gosh, I don't want to be that guy really. But then I thought, I don't know. It, what you said is so gorgeous. And so I, I threw it out there. So thank you so much for being gracious enough to to want to talk about stuff with me. Yeah. Well, actually, it, it's interesting. It's actually, in some ways, it's helpful to talk about it because I, I, we went through so much last Easter. Last Easter was just so heartbreaking. And if, if, if I've been able to kind of glean any kind of takeaway, I guess, from it, and then give that back to somebody that may need to hear that. Um, I'm not saying it's redemptive. I'm not, I'm not, it, it, you know, um, but it's, it's maybe just comforting for me. So I appreciate you asking. Well, I, what I'd like to do is just sort of even just <laughs> kind of walk through those four tweets as it relates to, um, your experience with Rachel dying last year. Yeah. Um, so I want to just, I want to read them sure. if that's yeah. okay. And then I'll just ask a couple questions. Um, so the first one, and again, I, I don't know when I picked this up. It was last week sometime. And I just, it just stopped in, in, in my tracks. Cause I think um, trying to figure out Holy week, you know, mm-hmm. with the pandemic So here's what you wrote in your first tweet. It's four tweets. So this is the first one. It's not lost on me that Holy Week 2020 is the week 
the scientists and experts say may be our hardest week of this pandemic, perhaps the darkest days Americans have seen for generations. Holy Week 2019 was the hardest week of my life. Uh, so, Amanda, can you talk about what you remember of last year about this time? And as you were getting the news of Rachel going to the hospital, what was that yeah. like? I mean, I, so, you know, Rachel had the flu and then um, started experiencing these um, sudden ongoing um, seizures. And so the only thing the doctors could do, you know, the best course of action was to put her in a, in a coma as a treatment option. So I, you know, rushed from my home in North Carolina, home to Tennessee when that happened. And um, the plan was to kind of leave her in, in the coma for a few days, let it do its work. And that, you know, I think they put her in the coma on Wednesday before uh, the Wednesday before um, Easter of Holy Week. And so the plan was to kind of slowly start bringing her out of the coma um, on Sunday morning, Easter morning. Um, not that wasn't a choice because of the holiday, just because that was a treatment plan. It was three days, you know, and it was amazing. And I still feel a, such a deep sense of gratitude that people from all over the world kind of gathered under this hashtag of pray for RHE on this, that, that Saturday, the Saturday between good Friday and Easter. And so many people made the comments that like, this is, this is a true testament of Rachel's life is mm -hmm. that people who didn't even used to believe in God are now praying to God, asking for her healing. That's, it's, that's pretty quintessential Rachel. And, you know, I think in my mind, I was like, all right, God, this is like a no brainer, right? Like, she's going to wake up on Easter morning with it's like, she'll kind of resurrect for us in, in kind of a picture of the resurrection. Like um, it, it's very on brand for Easter for us to experience this miraculous healing with her. And so there was a sense in which I had like all the confidence in the world that God was going to do that because I kind of think I know the best way for God to operate in the world. And, um, and so when that didn't, ha and in fact, I had gone back home because I was nursing my baby at the time. So I went back home to get, I'd left her there. So I went back home to get her. And I was at home on Easter morning when I got the call that, um, that, that treatment option hadn't worked. The seizures continued. And that's when I think I really knew we, we might lose her. I think we're going to lose her. And, you know, I was putting on Jane's Easter dress. You know, you get that call and you just think this isn't, this isn't how this was supposed to go. Um, and of course it continued for several weeks before she passed away. But I think that, I think it was Easter that I realized that I kind of saw what was coming, you know, and knew what was coming. Oh, and what a juxtaposition to be getting <laughs> your little baby dressed up in, you know, Easter clothes. And did you, did you go to even church that day? I mean, it was, you know, it's funny, my, my in-laws happened to be in town visiting, which was really just, I think, providential because my mother-in-law was actually able to go back to Tennessee with me and help me take care of mm -hmm. the kids and juggle my kid and all that. And she was, ex she was phenomenal, extraordinarily helpful that whole um, season, as was my husband, my father-in-law. Um, but, you know, I think we were kind of waiting to get the news before we kind of made a decision about even going to church. And at that point, I just kind of froze. Oh yeah. And just couldn't hardly um, 
pull myself off the couch and just was completely frozen. Oh. Well, it, this, this sort of leads to your second, the second tweet in this thread. Uh, and you, you said, I've grown wary of asking with any sense of entitlement for the theatrical miracles, the poignant Easter resurrection you think will show the world who's really in control. I've learned to always show up with burial spices. Death is a part of life in this world. Um, talk more about how your experience of Rachel dying and you finding out about that even on Easter. I mean, that that could be the reality, finding out about that on Easter. Mm -hmm. Led you to sort of, you know, this this beautiful statement, but so harrowing that you've always... You've, you've learned to always bring burial spices. Talk, yeah. talk more about that. Well, I, I think it just, you know, throughout the process of grieving her, planning her funeral, you know, you begin to realize what a discomfort and a kind of um, space we try to create between ourselves and the reality of our mortality. And, um, you know, people used to lay out the dead in their parlors and now we do that in funeral homes. And, um, it's not just with death, it's it's with hardship, like our kind of privileged positions as wealthy and, you know, Americans has kind of led us to believe that we can control all of our outcomes if we just make all the right decisions and do all the right things. Um, but it that, it's just, just not true. It's, you know, it's our privilege that has created this illusion of control. We live in a, a world filled with sorrow. And um, I think one of the greatest gifts we can bring to the world is lament is to kind of come nose to nose with the grief that so many in the world experience. We all inevitably will experience at some point, some of us more than others, but, but to really absorb that, to lean into that, to go there to those dark places, to not circumvent the sorrow and go straight to the message of victory and all is well. And, um, we have to sit in Saturday, you know, most of our lives are Saturday, right? Like that the disciples didn't know Jesus was coming back to life. They had no, even though he talked about it, they, they had no expectation of that. Um, and so I think just, we have to show up to life with, with this sense of holy lament, which is an act of worship. It's an agreeing with God that things aren't the way that they were supposed to be. He's a I mean, our savior is a man of sorrows, right? Like he is a, a, a God who weeps, a God who mourns. Um, and, and I think if I could just add to that, I think I, I in terms of expectations, I want to be careful about that because I do believe that we pray with hope and that we can have certain expectations of the Lord. But just remembering that my expectations of how God is going to be most effective in the world is, is not always accurate or right. And in fact, the whole life and ministry of Jesus was kind of understated, right? Like his disciples wanted the kind of big bombastic takeover of Rome, religious domination, and everything about the life and ministry of Jesus is, I am not the savior you think I'm going to be. Right. You know, he, there's that whole messianic secret. He would heal people and then tell them, don't, don't yeah. tell him I healed you. Don't tell him who I am. He came in on a donkey. He didn't ride in on a stallion. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then when he resurrected, he appeared to women. Mm -hmm. Like he could have appeared to Pontius Pilate, the religious leaders, the Roman, but he appeared to 
lowly women whose testimony wouldn't even have been acceptable in court. Like he was very understated. And I think it's because he wanted to know like, who is it? Who's, who's grasping for the garments of power versus who's, who's just grabbing for the hem of like, who's just hungry for me. Who's, who is hungry for peace and who, who wants my presence? Like it was all about presence for him, not power. The disciples wanted power. The people wanted power and Jesus was there to give presence. And so just, I think our expectations of God, I I just want to be careful that sometimes our expectations of God, um, you know, they can be self-directed or there's a sense of entitlement of how you think God ought to work and ought to bless you. And that goes to death with Jesus at the cross too. It did for the disciples, you know? Um, And I think, yeah, I'm still trying to absorb all of that. Oh yeah. But I think it really is connected with this, this idea of holding hope with reality that you're always bringing your burial spices because Otherwise, it really does lead to entitlement and telling God what to do, organizing God's agenda, which I think we can beg God for anything. We can pray to God for anything, I hear you saying. Yet there's a humility required. And because Jesus is who he was, because he he did not live up to anyone's expectations, really, about... um, then if we're going to be in it, I think in any way, shape or form, the way he was, we have to carry that, that Mm -hmm. expectation with a kind of reality and humility. So that's what I hear you saying. And I think that was what was so, you know, this thing, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll carry that phrase with me now forever. I'll I'll always, I've learned to always bring burial spices with me because you just don't know, you know, and Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's something actually really freeing about accepting the fact that, as my brother-in-law likes to say, we're all terminal. Everyone like to choose to love is to choose to grieve because everyone you love will die or will suffer. And if, as long, once we kind of accept that, I think that that's the whole spirit of Psalm. Uh, what is it? I, I forget the Psalm. I think it may, may be 72 Psalm 70. Don't quote me on that, but it, you know, um, teach us to number our days that we may yeah. gain a heart of wisdom. There's something yeah. about coming face to face with reality of your mortality that, invites us into wisdom um, that I think is important. I love what you said, Steve, like you hold both, you have to hold both and you can hold them both. And the the tension is, I think the place we're called to be the place Jesus lived. I think so. And I'm just really reflecting on on what you said. That's, that's my riff on, on what you said. Um, If you don't mind a man, I'd like to read the third tweet. Um, And you, you said, but I've also learned to look for the understated signs and wonders. The guy you thought was a graveyard gardener may, may be God himself. I've learned to listen to the rumors of women who swore they saw angels. I've learned God cooks fish for you on the shore after all seems lost. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of understated signs and wonders. That's a paradox, right? Say more yeah. about about what you've learned about that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just, the more I read of Jesus, the more I realize how, how much he did not fit into the box that, you know, these second temple Jewish folks thought he should fit into. And, you know, I don't want to go into a whole long 
um, spiel about my own faith journey and the inconvenient timing of going through a season of faith deconstruction while you're also grieving. Like that's, I don't recommend it. It's not great timing, but I think it's something we all find ourselves in. And um, I had a friend the other day that just, she said to me, as she's gone through her faith journey, she felt like at one point God almost audibly was saying to her, you have to let me die. Like, let me Mm -hmm. die. And there's this sense in which I do think we have to kind of be willing to let go of, to let die our expectations, our theological boxes. And I'm a fan of theology. I'm not saying we don't need some theological systems are very helpful. But what do you expect out of God, particularly in the area of your own self-advancement? And what's he going to do for me? Um, Because there's a lot to there's a lot to be gained from some of our theological systems for ourselves personally, some, some selfish things to be gained. Yeah. And I almost feel like God is almost asking like, are you going to let that die? Like, are you going to let, can you let your old way of seeing me and your old constructs die to make room for resurrection and something new? And the resurrection might not look like what you think it should look like, but I'm telling you it's good and it's new and it's fresh and it's for you. Um, and I, I think that's kind of, yeah, I think along with Jesus, when he died, died all of the disciples expectations, their Mm -hmm. sense of calling, their sense of purpose. And anybody who's been through a journey of faith has known that grief and knows what that feels like. And I think what I'm trying to lean into and press into is so what is this death of some of the old ways of, you know, how I used to th- see things? What is that making space for? How is that going? How will God, you know, resurrect in a fresh and new way in my life like he does over and over again? And I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying the resurrection was a metaphor. I think the resurrection was real and true and 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 physical. And but it, it's also, I think, an important lesson for just remembering that. Um, God has new and mysterious ways of showing up in your life that are different than what you thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the pain and the sorrow and the thing that's not supposed to happen, like Rachel wasn't supposed to die. And frankly, this pandemic's not supposed to be happening. Like right. these things that happen in our lives that we think this can't happen, this is not supposed to happen. In those things, there is an invitation to wisdom. And I think there is presence. There is the presence of God. Um, that can be really powerful, even though it doesn't, like I said, it's not the religious takeover. It's not the, it's not, it's kingdom. It's not empire, right? It's not, it's not the power, it's the presence. And I think that's kind of where I'm trying to see, where do I see God? Mm -hmm. Where do I see his presence in the midst of all of this? When the story didn't go how I thought it should go, you know? Yeah. Can I ask, this is, this is, I mean, feel free to pass, right? But phone a friend. <laughs> what are, what are one or two ways that you've changed how you've seen God since Rachel died? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, one thing that comes to mind for sure. I, um, just what does it mean to be blessed? You know, hashtag blessed. I, I think that I always thought that like when the crisis happens, whatever that's going to be for me, the big heartache of my life, when that happens, there's going to be the peace that passes understanding. 
and I'm going to somehow have this divine sense that all is well. And that, and I expected that to be a feeling, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And I can tell you that most days in the last year, I have not felt my feelings have not been good. And so then that made me think, well, I guess all of that promise of the peace was mm. bunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think that's where the bear, I come back to the burial spices is that we almost have a little bit of a prosperity gospel mentality and approach to emotions that our emotions oh, yeah. are always supposed to kind of feel hashtag blessed or, you know, I was just overwhelmed by this sense of peace in the midst of it. And I just want to be like, I mean, someday, but mostly not like I'm angry. I'm confused. I'm super stressed by, you know, some of the added responsibilities and um, I'm sad. I'm all those things. And I guess just, I thought those are all bad things where God doesn't show up. God's in the joy and the peace and the love and the, but God's in both of those things. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, something that's kind of been flipped on its head is that I knew God said that you may suffer in this life. I guess I just didn't know that that meant that my emotions would be so uncomfortable. Mm. And I, I've learned that we're not even promised comfortable emotions in life. Yeah. Um, and that's totally appropriate. Like the degree to which I am angry and sad is just reflective of the degree to which I loved her. And anything less would be. Um, I don't know, I w- wouldn't honor her, wouldn't be accurate for how I felt and how I feel about her. Um, so I think that's one thing is just, you know, it's, it, it, you don't expect the peace all the time, but I don't think that that means that he's not present, that he doesn't, he's not guiding, that he's not directing me, that he's not speaking to me. I just think it's not as comfortable as I thought it would be. Well, I loved how you compared a prosperity gospel of emotion. Like, you know, yeah. we, we, that was so well said. We expect if God is with us, then that means we'll feel peace. Even if we're supposed to do something, you know, risky or dangerous, we don't do it until we feel peace. And yeah. I, I don't think that that's the way I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that's the way it works. And I don't even think that honors faith. You know, faith is yeah. risky and scary and leaping out. That's what the definition of it is, right? And so even yeah. to have faith in the midst of grief, seems to me and my experience of it is filled with all the feelings you said, anger, yeah. confusion, stress, because now you have to do things that maybe you didn't have to do before. And, um, and to, to have the world grieving with you must have felt both comforting, but also like oddly voyeuristic, did it? Well, I think so. Thank you for saying that because that's been a phenomenon that I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't really want to talk because on the one hand, it's so, it's such a gift to have the world know who she was and how incredible she was and that her legacy gets to live on. And I really appreciate it when people say, I miss her voice on Twitter, but then I, I am simultaneously angry because I'm like, I wish that was all I missed. You know, yeah. I wish all I missed was her voice on Twitter. Like I miss her embodied life. Like I miss her mothering of her children. I miss her, her, her presence in our home and um, the wisdom that she would share on the phone. I mean, I just, I miss her physicality. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think, so there has been, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird jealousy or something. Um, But at the same time, 
I don't want those messages and those words to stop because I do, I affirm the grief that the world is experiencing collectively to, to lose someone that you felt like gave words to what you were experiencing mm-hmm. and that no one else could that helped you find your way. That was a light on a dark path. That is real grief. I'm not saying it's re it's not real. It's just different. And then to hear from those people is, does comfort and minister to us. So it's, yeah, it's both both things. It's just, it's just a very strange, it's been a very strange experience. Oh, good and bad. And I mean, it's been all the things, you know, and I can imagine, I can imagine not having been through that myself, but I can imagine strange would be a good word <laughs> to describe it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let, Amanda, if you don't mind, I'd like to read your fourth tweet. Again, all these are so good, but because um, you talk about hope and maybe we can end with that, but hope persists after expectations have been devastated. Mm. Hope is a calling. It's a way of life. It's a way of being. It's the humility of knowing we see in a mirror dimly that we only know in part. It's faith in the face-to-face to come. So maybe if you, if you have any energy for it, talk about where you're seeing hope yeah. if, if you are. Yeah. I mean, I guess I got that. I was, I guess it's something uh, Ephesians 1, 18 or 19 that talks about the, the hope to which you were called. I think there's something to me about the fact that hope is a calling that yeah. is really interesting to me that I'm kind of trying to be curious about. And, and to be honest with you, one of the biggest lessons of this last year is just like curiosity may be the most important virtue, I think, to have in the life of grief to just, okay, what's like, listen, what's going on here? Watch pray, watch, pray. So I, I don't quite know how I'm quite um, integrating this whole idea of hope into my life yet, other than that I'm just trying to be curious about it. Um, but I, I do think that I realize so much of our expectations have to do with personal outcomes, whereas hope feels more kingdom-oriented. Hope is, um, like I said, it's a, it's a calling. It's kind of, it's a it's a way of being in the world. It's yeah. a way of carrying yourself in the world. And so, and it, it's also just, it's a, it's a, it transcends time, right? Expectation is very much about the future. Whereas hope is about now and hope, hope's actually about the past and the present and the future. And, you know, I'm not, I really try not to speculate about like, people will tell me, you know, I've had several miscarriages and people will tell me like your babies are in heaven or, they try to tell me what it's like for Rachel in heaven right now. And Mm. I try to just be very like, gosh, that is the realm of mystery and Mm. revelation and end times and all of that. Like, I think it's really healthy to hold that with a deep sense of awe and mystery. Um, But, but again, I have a belief that I will come face to face with that reality at some point and that it will be good because God is there because God's God's stewarding that. That's not up to me and my expectations. That's all something he's doing. And, and so I guess there's, I don't know. It's very, I think it's just that it, it's, it transcends time and it transcends circumstance. Hope is something I think we're given as a gift by the Holy spirit and it's how we carry ourselves and 
I don't actually, Steve, know what I'm hoping for. You know what I mean? Like, I don't sometimes even know what I'm hoping for. And again, that's why I think it goes beyond expectation. It just, it's this kind of like, I'm choosing to believe that it's going to be good and just and right. And, and that's my hope for Rachel. Um, That's what I believe Jesus embodied in the resurrection. Like, which again was very mysterious. Like he moved through walls and then he cooked fish and yeah. He thought he was a gardener and then he's like, we're not, we're not done yet, but I'm leaving it to you guys. Like, like, I don't know. I just, it's a, it's an interesting hope is an interesting concept because I don't think we quite know what we're hoping for yet, but we know that we hope for what is right and good and just, and that it's Jesus and his, his, his presence. Um, so I don't know. I'm just curious, but maybe I'm still very curious about it. I'm trying to kind of, chase that down a little bit well i think curiosity rising to the top in grief that's compelling to me because Mm -hmm. that means there's a sense of um holding certain expectations loosely but also looking for to go back to your previous thought on the understated miracles you know the the gardener that turns out to be god the um and I think that's that hope um, hope persists after expectations have been devastated. That speaks to me that it is more than just what you were hoping for, even. Hope is different than what you were hoping for. You know so I read you on that. And I think that's I think that's so um, anchoring, you know, and I think it's that comes from someone who's experienced grief in a deep way. Um, clearly. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Again, it, yeah. I'm still very curious about it and maybe we could talk about it again sometime and I'll have more to say about it. I wish I had more clarity, but I, yeah, that's where I'm at right now is this kind of tension of it's the mirror dimly seeing in the mirror dimly and seeing in part is like full on right now. And I think that's okay. Well, thank you, Amanda. Um, you are speaking to this little church that you've never met called Genesis, and it's filled with people who loved your sister and loved that way of wrestling with doubt and faith. Lots of people that are going through major deconstruction yeah. and trying to hang on to um, Jesus in the midst of it all. And so I want to thank you so much for taking time to be um, a woman on Easter Sunday who's giving some good news that feels very appropriate um, in in the world right now. So um, thank you so much. Thanks to your uh, church family there for loving Rachel and she loved you. um, And, you know, I I try never to speak for her. She can speak for herself. Her body of work is out there, but um, I think she would just continue to tell people show up, show up for the struggle. Um, and let's do it together, you know, so thanks for loving her. And she was the reason that she did. You guys were the reason that she did what she did. Mm, It's amazing. Mm, Thank you. Thanks for the time, Steve. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to this good word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash this good word. 
You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together. 